0: Good morning.
1: This is attorney Vince Davis, and you're on with us this Saturday morning, as we are every Saturday morning, uh, our Fight of CPS show, and uh, Get Your Kids Back Now. Uh, I started this show um, a few months ago uh, at the request of many people who asked me uh, to do something like this, to give out information for free so that you can become more knowledgeable and help in your own case if you have a CPS case, help your court-appointed attorney, or help your private attorney. Um, Knowledge is power. I'd like to start off the show like I do every week, and there are three things that I want to tell everyone if you're involved in a CPS case. Um, Number one, you have to, you must get experienced and expert legal representation. We're talking about your children. We're talking about your family. If you were, or if the social worker had come to your home and taken uh, $10 million out of your closet in your secret hiding place, you'd go out and get Johnny Cochran if he was still alive. Here the social worker has come to your home, has taken your children. You need to get the best legal representation that you can. If you can't afford to hire a private attorney, please work with your court-appointed attorney. For the most part, these people are experts. They have had training in representing people in juvenile dependency court cases. So work with your court-appointed attorney. Don't fight your court-appointed attorney. If you don't like your court-appointed attorney, um, you can ask the judge to appoint you another attorney. This can be done through what's called a Marsden hearing, where you explain to the judge that you have a conflict of interest with your uh, attorney, and if the judge agrees that there is a conflict, or if your attorney is not representing you, the judge may, and I want to stress may, appoint you another court-appointed attorney. I've known of cases where um, people have had two or three different court-appointed attorneys because of complaints they've been they've have made about their court appointed attorney. But for the most part these people are trained and they can help you. So please work with them, don't fight them. The next thing that I tell people is you have to make yourself or get yourself informed. Learn as much as you can about this system about the laws, and when you have questions, ask your attorney about them, be that a court-appointed attorney or a private attorney. Um, There is a resource that I want to tell everyone about. It's a resource that um, many attorneys use, and it's called the Dog Book. Yes, D-O-G-B-O-O-K. And it's a book that was prepared um, for people um, by the California judiciary. And you can find this book at this web address. So if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'm going to give you this web address. <clears throat> the web address is www.courts.ca.gov backslash documents backslash dog book underscore 2ED underscore PDF. Now, that was a long one. Let me repeat it for you. www.courts.ca.gov backslash documents backslash book underscore two ed underscore online dot pdf. If you can't get that um, web address to work for you, you can do what I always do, and I Google it. And I just put in, because Google knows all, I put in uh, California dog book juvenile courts or something like that. And uh, for the most part, it always comes up. The third thing that I ask you all to do is vote. Your power as citizens in this country and this state is to vote. Organize yourself, and we'll be talking about that a little more in weeks to come. We'll be organizing groups from county to county, and we want to vote in legislators who are sympathetic to keeping families together. We also want to vote in or re-elect judges who are sympathetic and want to keep families together. So the power of vote is most important. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking about and giving some tips on the um, 366.26 hearing. Uh, That is the hearing where uh, the court can terminate your parental rights and place the child up for adoption. Happening a lot these days, more than people realize. And um, for you relatives out there, when that happens to the parent and the parent's rights are terminated, you lose your familial right to the child. So, for example, if you are a grandparent who doesn't have custody of the child and the parents' rights are terminated, you are no longer a grandparent. That's correct. You are no longer the grandparent. Now, if you are the grandparent and you have custody and they terminate the rights of the parents and you end up adopting that child, you're no longer the grandparent. You're now the parent. And if the the parent of the child on your side of the family was the, for example, mother, the mother becomes not the mother, and she becomes a an aunt to the child. Weird situations um, We're told that these this is all done in the best interests of the child, but you know some may disagree, but we'll t- be talking about the three sixty six point two six hearing later today. Um, I'm going to take start taking some calls from our audience. And the first call I'm going to take is uh area code 760 and ending in 90. Area code 760 ending in 90. Good morning, you're on the radio with attorney Vince Davis.
2: Good morning, Mr. Davis. This is uh Good morning. How <laughs> Good morning. Uh I am just calling to tell my story first of all, uh, just a very brief version of it, and then maybe also give a little bit of advice um, because I was unfortunate enough to deal with CPS but fortunate enough to to get my child back. Um, Let me start with with what happened. Uh, About three years ago, uh, I was arrested uh, by some cops that knew I hadn't done anything so they made up a story uh, so they had an excuse to arrest me um, I got out uh, of jail It it that was not the big they had contacted the CPS which the next day um, hurried to my wife's job and told her that if she didn't make a restraining order against me and got out of the house since I was a, a dangerous criminal then they would take away our daughter. So she went to the court, she filed a restraining order, um, and she went to stay with her mom. Um, a couple of weeks later, uh, I mean, she, she did what what GPS had, had asked. Um, but still a couple of weeks later, uh, I found a stack of papers just thrown loosely uh, outside my door. And it was for both me and my wife, stating that if we didn't meet in the juvenile court, our parental rights would be terminated uh, right away. So of course, I I called her and said, hey, we gotta go to the courts here at this date. Uh, We went to the court. Um, In the court, we got served with a stack of almost 100 pages, uh, a CPS report, which we, of course, didn't have any time to read because we had about five, ten minutes, so we got called into the courtroom. Uh, and at that time, we had to fill out some papers for an attorney, and it, it was just a big mess. So we went in there 100% unprepared, uh, and uh, <laughs> court-appointed attorneys had no idea what was going on either. It didn't matter either because when we went in there, the first thing that happened was that at CPS... Uh, Some social worker um, said that, yeah, basically that my wife had been staying home with me, a violent criminal, putting our daughter at risk, and they had told her to stay away, but she had been at home the whole time. And the judge didn't find the need to hear our side of the story, so he just ordered our child removed right away. She had to be picked up by the daycare, like, instantly. And that was it end of hearing so i was like really it, it came as a big shock i i had no idea that cps they would directly lie and just make up something just to have an excuse to remove uh, our child um of course tried to tell them that hey the police report was uh, incorrect and and this and that that you know there was there was no way of of, of, you know getting through with some sense to them so anyways on on our way home we started reading our uh, the, the CPS report and they had made up a long story about my criminal background and it was not only domestic violence it was this and that and uh, and we haven't hadn't been giving our daughter proper food or care or uh, clothes and, and all kinds of stuff that is 100% just flat-out made-up lies. Uh, and, I mean, my records are 100% clean. Anybody can just look that up. It's, it's uh, <laughs> aside from a speeding ticket, and I've never done anything illegal my whole life, uh, very easily checked.
0: Um,
2: so... It, it, it was really, really a weird experience to me seeing that you you when you don't know anything about GPS, then you think, okay, that's an authority that's there to protect children. But that is absolutely not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, we went to get the police report too because it, it was also a and, and you know the, we we thought maybe that's where they they got the story from, but uh, when we went and and, and got it, uh, it it only said something about a certain incident. It didn't say anything about prior violence or or, or whatever they they had in their report. So it was kind of a mystery. Uh, luckily, the police had recorded their investigation, so I. Went and got the recordings, which they of course didn't want to give to me at first. But later they 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 had to give it to me. So so I'm now fighting that. Um, but I I started wondering why in the world would CPS? They are paid for by tax money from the people. Why are they not providing a service? They uh, they are doing the exact opposite. Um, and that's the whole problem, because when you have a when you're dealing with c p s um, if you want your child back and you um you gotta know what you're dealing with, as Vincent said in the beginning of the show, if you don't know what you're dealing with it's going to be an impossible fight because if you think you can reason with them, say to them, you know, what actually happened, uh, explain to them and and then expect them to do what's reasonable, you're absolutely wrong. Uh, They are not there to protect your child. They actually don't have a care in the world about children. What they care about is money. And CPS is funded uh, per removal they're not funded for the quality of their work or if they're providing a, a safer environment for kids, uh, they're actually doing the exact opposite. If you're reading the statistics, you can see that abuse is five to seven times more likely in the hands of CPS than in the hands of even abusive parents. Um, so that that's not the case. They are only doing this for profit. Uh, and And... Once you learn a little about uh, how CPS works that, uh, and the juvenile court works, it sort of makes more sense. And then you know what you're dealing with. Uh, and as Vincent said, it's really important to get, get a lawyer because you will not get a chance to represent yourself. Not even if you had the, the know-how to do it, you just will not get a chance because in the juvenile court, you only have 50% burden of proof, or is it 51%, uh, which means that a judge, he doesn't really have to take notice of both sides. He can base his judgment only on one side and see if there's a 50% probability of abuse here. And most judges in the juvenile court system that you will go to will be in favor of CPS because CPS is bringing the, case, the cases to the court equals the money, so they are the court's best friend um and gps of course have to keep themselves alive they the workers they are benchmarked on removals again not on quality on their work or if what they're doing are right um and there's nobody auditing them neither that or the courts because they have full secrecy for the public of course to protect the parents they claim um (laughs) which is a yes I don't even want
3: to.
1: <laughs> well, let me let me ask um, you something. You at the beginning of the yeah? of your call, you said you did get your child back. How did that happen?
2: Well, I did get my child back and that happened because I contacted a a really good lawyer. And let me say that is really really difficult to find as well. I went through I don't know, 20 or something till I found one that was actually both willing to take my case and take it further afterwards. Because most lawyers, they will just say, oh, those are social workers. They have immunities and this and that, and you can't really fight them. And uh, But anyways, I went and find a really good, good lawyer. Um, and he explained to me what I was dealing with and how to do it. And I followed through with the whole thing because, of course, getting my child back is... The most important thing in the whole world and unfortunately and this is really unfortunate you have to do that in the juvenile court system oh man if you could only take it to the to a supreme or a superior court it would be a lot easier because they have to hear both sides of the story and they're not as corrupt as the juvenile system but unfortunately you have to get it your kids back in the juvenile system and the only way is yeah getting a good lawyer uh, kissing their butts for half a year, how long, whatever it takes. Do whatever they they do, even if they try to sabotage it. They give you classes and then forget to give the referrals so you can actually take them. Then just go out, find someone your own. Uh, yeah. Go through with everything. Um, and at the end, when you have done everything that is required of the CPS, a really, really good idea and is not to just Stick to those court dates that CPS set up talk to your lawyer uh, get him to make a I think it's called a motion to change a court order uh, for getting your child back and make it a different date than CPS file it and of course let the lawyer um, serve CPS as as late as possible so they're unprepared go into the court present your case Uh, you will most likely get your, your, your child back and CPS will maybe not even be there because they are really uh, a mess of a system. They are hopeless. <laughs> um, yeah that that's what uh <laughs> what happened to me. Um we after we got uh our child back CPS, they still didn't want to let go of the uh, of the, the case, so they they kept it open for half a year, where they had the right to keep an eye on us or whatever you know, fine whatever as long as we had our daughter and <laughs> everything is good. So. And uh, you know,
1: I feel ashamed asking you for this plug, but who was the lawyer you found to help you?
2: <laughs> that was you, Mr. Vincent. <laughs>
1: You know what? Thank you for your call and thank you for sharing with us today.
2: Well, thank you and thank you for making this radio show. It's really, really important that you get this message out because nobody knows what they're dealing with till they actually are in the situation. I know for myself I wouldn't have had a clue about this gigantic problem that g p s is I, I wouldn't have had the slightest idea until I was in the situation myself. So it's really, really great that people like you get the get the word out. Want to thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you for calling and sharing.
2: All right. Thank you. Uh,
1: bye bye. Uh, during the call, I just got a message, uh, a text message from my uh, my uh, web guy who told me that the dog book link is now up on our website, talkradioexperts.com.
0: So if you go to that
1: website, somewhere on the first find the link um, to the dog book, uh, it's not – the link isn't very big from the picture that he texts me, but it's somewhere on the first page. <clears throat>
2: Excuse me. Okay,
1: now we're going to take another sh- call, area code 818, ending in eight. Good morning. You're on with Hello? Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello.
3: Good morning. Yes. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Good
1: morning. How are you? Can
3: you
1: hear you? me? Okay. Loud and I'm clear. I'm
3: good. Okay. Okay. I'm good. I'm. Uh, my name is Vanessa. Um, I'm calling because I'd like to share my story. And um, let me see where my story begins. Back in 2009, actually. Um, so in 2009, I actually went out with a group of friends to uh, have a few drinks, um, and um, I was already, like, over 21 at the time. Um, I had gone out to Acapulco, and pretty much somebody slipped something in my drink, and I ended up getting a uh, – I guess I had a – what's it called? Uh, intoxication, alcohol intoxication. I woke up in the hospital, and when I woke up in the hospital, I, I didn't even know I was there. I was – telling somebody that I had to I had to pee, I had to pee because I had the urge that I had to pee. But it was a nurse telling me, um, Vanessa, wake up, wake up. You're already you're already here, you're already peeing and you already you have a catheter hooked up to you. You have um you've been here for a few hours and um, you know, do you remember anything that happened? So I had no idea what had happened and I looked to my left, I look to my right, I see my mom, I see my dad next to me and pretty much, I was in the hospital, and they told me that somebody had slipped something in my drink, and somebody found me in the street, inside of a van, uh, without my top on, and pretty much, uh, I was left there all alone. So, pretty much, I guess what happened was, I had gone out with a two friends, and they ended up leaving me there after I passed out. They were got scared; they didn't know what to do, and. I was around guys and, you know, things happened. So it's been very hard for me to talk about this story because, you know, I felt like I was a victim, obviously, that night, but not really, according to DCFS. Uh, what ended up happening is DCFS got an order from Northridge Hospital, I believe, and it happens. Like, I guess somebody put a referral out saying that I was, considered to be a neglectful mother or uh incapable of caring for my child because i was supposedly a alcohol abuser and a drug abuser because of they found something in my drink and i've never had a problem with drugs or alcohol in my life and they made it out they made they made it seem like i was just this horrible person this mother that i couldn't care for her child this drug addict this alcohol abuser and they ended up taking my child from me one night when I was asleep with my son. They came to my front door, knocked on my door with two police officers at 3 in the morning. And they said that they were taking my child due to reasons of neglect and, um, you know, just for all these other things that they wanted to put that I was considered to be unfit. And that I had mental issues, that I had um, a disorder that they wanted to put – I. I they could not even die, put that I – they just put up a lot of – like the guy that called in earlier, he was saying that they fabricate all this stuff on the report. They really do. They make your life seem like you're this, like, living this big old soap opera. And they write the most untrue things about you that you could ever, ever imagine. And um, pretty much what happened was in 2009, I lost my son. I lost custody of him to his father who my son didn't even know his father too much at the time because my son's father had never really came and picked him up and visited with him or not or what not so pretty much my son ended up living with his dad for about 3 years and this through this process I was given minor visitation um I tried to get numerous times I tried to go to the court and get my son back uh, however, it was really difficult to get my son back in regular court without an attorney. And, um, you know, I kept on trying to do this on my own, and it just it, it didn't happen. So jump ahead a few years later, um, I, I didn't have custody of my son anymore. So I had to wait for my son to be uh, taken out of juvenile court and try to get custody of him on my own, which I did at some point in 2013. I finally got custody of my son back. Um, However, things were not over yet. In 2013, um, I got hit with another, um, I guess you could say, a removal or another referral to DCFS. And this time, it was for my son explaining to the uh, therapist that he was seeing that he was a little bit upset with me one day and with my boyfriend, and pretty much they made it into a domestic violence incident. So me and my son were having an argument one day, and, um, you know, kids, they always end up saying that they're going to go and say things about the parents that, you know, kind of stretch the truth a little bit because they're mad at the mom or they're mad at the dad. So my son went and told the therapist that yeah that my mom's yelling at me and this and that and whatever so they came and they investigated they asked me some questions and um they ended up doing what's called a uh like where my son was able to stay with me at my and in my care but they were not removing him from my household this time. So this is when I knew that I needed to get help and I knew that by me having custody of my child again was not going to be it. So I ended up, you know, doing some research online, and I found Mr. Davis, and um, he was able to help me get my um, get my son back. But before all this, before he helped me get my son back, I just want to add one more thing. Like, I was also unfortunate to deal with uh, the situation that, happened when the social worker that came to remove my son from or to come and tell me that, you know, there was an open investigation, She actually wanted to request the medical records from my son's doctors and um, educational records and all that stuff. And I had no idea that she had already requested these documents from his uh, pediatrician's office. So one day when I was calling my son's pediatrician's office, I I called in and I said, oh yes, um, can I please get my son's uh, I don't know, a copy of his records for his shots or something because I needed them for my own reasons. And the receptionist at the pediatrician's office told me, oh, well, we already faxed them to your worker. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, um, your worker just faxed in a request for all these records. And I went to the office, to my son's pediatrician's office, and I asked for the paper that she was asking or speaking about for her to show it to me. (laughs) And um, she showed me a copy of the facts that came in from my son's first emergency response uh, worker. That's the first person that comes when they're going to take your child from you. And I looked at the paper, and it was a document that had a request for all these records and it had under the parent part of the signature it had a signature on there but it wasn't my signature so in other words this woman she forged my signature requesting records for my son and for his educational and um, medical records without me consenting so right now i'm honestly in process of a you know, trying to get this issue resolved as well for the forgery. And um thank God I did get my son back, you know, thanks to Mr. Davis and his law firm. Um, they were really helpful in answering a lot of my questions. The best thing I can say is for anyone listening out there that's going through the same situation or through any kind of situation with DCFS is just document everything, write everything down because your notebook and all of your notes become your best friend later on down the line. You can even make like a movie out of it or something like when you're done with this, because this is very unfortunate. And sadly, these kids, they get very, very affected by all the things that DCFS does to these poor children. And they break up families, you know, and it's wrong. So, I mean, that's the best advice I can give. And just, you know, stay strong because these children need you and you need them as well. So I think that's about it. (laughs) That's my story.
1: I want you to know that we are currently uh, representing Vanessa in a civil lawsuit against the social worker who um, forged her name. And I want you to think of this if this social worker forged Vanessa's name, do you think that she's done this before? Do you think this type of person would have no problem stretching the truth? Do you think that person would have no problem saying something that isn't true? Before I take another call, I'm going to uh, talk about the 366.26 hearing. Uh, The planning for that hearing uh, happens when the judge has ruled that your termination, has ruled that your family reunification services has been terminated, the first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you and your attorney ask for a bonding study. Because one of the things and one of the defenses that you can use at the time of the actual termination hearing is you can show that you have a relationship with the child such that termination of the rights of the parent would not be in the best interest of the child. One of the ways that you can do that is by having a bonding study where a psychologist or a psychiatrist comes in, looks at the relationship between you and this child, and determines, yeah, there's a really strong bond and that uh, termination and adoption by another person would not be in the best interest of this child. You want to ask for that bonding study at the time of the hearing prior to the 2-6 hearing, and if you don't, you want to make sure you go back to court as soon as possible, and you and your attorney ask for that bonding study to to be implemented. So before the hearing, you want to ensure that the social worker's report is provided to you and your attorney 10 days before the hearing. Uh, That's California Rule of Court 5.725c. Many times people show up at the hearing and they're handed the report. Well, that's not the law. It's not enough notice. I was in a trial yesterday, um, a case that was scheduled for trial, and uh, two days before the trial they emailed me a new report. They called it an addendum report. But it had a significant amount of information um, against my client. I had no way of subpoenaing witnesses within one day to be at the hearing on Friday morning. Um, I objected to the admission of the uh, that social worker report, and of course the county council and the social worker um, disagreed with me. Um, but the judge did rule that um, that ev- that report could not come into evidence until I was given time to subpoena and witnesses to rebut the things that the social worker had written in the report. The next thing that you should do is you should consider discussing permanency options with the caregiver, if appropriate. Um, That's Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 366.29. Now, there are different options in the, the juvenile court system your rights can be terminated and the foster parent or the relative who has the child can adopt the child or there are two other options. Number one is called legal guardianship. That's where the foster parent or the relative becomes the legal guardian of the child and you remain and all of your relatives remain the parent and the relative of the child. It's also important because um, in this type of proceeding, if you, guardianship is granted. If the parent ever finally does everything they were supposed to do and has continued visits with the child, they can go back and get the child uh, returned to them. Um, Recently, a a relative caregiver called me, and um, she's going to court because in that case, the mother has done everything that they wanted her to do has continued to have visitations and now is moving the court to have the child return to the mother and it's been you know I think four or five years and the social workers um, for whatever reason are on board with um, you know that happening Uh, the next thing you want to make sure is that that you're present even if you're in custody you have a right to be present at this hearing if you're not present or if you are in custody Um, You want to make sure that you've told your attorney, either by way of, you know, phone message, email, letter, uh, to arrange your uh, presence. You can also tell the social worker if that, you know, um, that. Um, The next thing that you want to make sure is that notice was proper to you. Many, many times the social workers give notice of these hearings and it's not proper. So you want to make sure that you and your attorney have received the proper notice for this case. The next thing that you should consider with your attorney is the possibility of filing a 388 petition.
0: One of the earlier
1: callers today mentioned um, uh, filing something to get an earlier court date to get your child back. That was a 388 petition. A 388 petition is a a vehicle um, where a parent at this stage of the proceeding can file uh, a petition requesting. Number one, that the child be returned. Number two, uh, more frequent and liberalized visitation with the child. Number three, can ask for more family reunification services. So assuming in January the court terminated your family reunification services, and 120 days later there's going to be a 2-6 hearing. Well, during that period of time, you and your attorney can file a 388. Uh, petition to ask for many things, sometimes to ask for, um, you know, uh, more family reunification services. In a lot of situations, uh, this could be helpful to you and to your attorney. The next thing you want to do is you want to, if you are going to challenge the uh, recommendation, which is the termination of your parental rights, which I recommend in most cases, Um, you want to read uh, welfare and institutions code section 355b. Um, It it does not apply in certain situations. Uh, You want to consider a further investigation regarding the adoptability of the child as necessary. Uh, You want to obtain the Delivered service logs and incident incident reports. These are basically diaries that the social workers are mandated to keep. They're never or rarely filed with the court. And they can contain, contain some very important information. I'm going to give you an example of a case I was recently involved in. The social worker was recommending the termination of my client's uh, family reunification services and setting it for the 2-6 hearing where her rights would be terminated. One of the main reasons why the social worker was recommending this was because there was a a new incident of domestic violence um, at the mother's house while she had the children on an unmonitored visit. And apparently the father was over there, um, and he attacked the mother, and there was a new incident of domestic violence. When the social worker testified on the stand, they made it seem like, and they never mentioned this, that, you know, the father was over the house, uh, and that he wasn't really supposed to be over the house, although nobody really said it. That was what it was implied. Now, one of the things that my client had forgotten about and that I never knew because I wasn't her attorney at that time in the proceeding, um, was that the social worker made the mother allow the father to come over and have that visit over the mother's protest. So when I cross-examined the social worker, the social worker, uh, and I had these in the delivered service logs, I found that in the delivered service log. So it's important to get those service logs. What had happened was Uh, the mother had been doing her program regarding domestic violence, and apparently doing quite well according to the social worker's testimony. The father, who had been doing nothing regarding his domestic violence counseling, um, was allowed to go over the mother's house and visit the children with the mother monitoring his visits. It was kind of crazy because the father hadn't done anything And the mother objected to allowing the father to come over her house. So what happens is social worker uh, makes the mother do this. Father comes over the house during the visit. He attacks the mother. And uh, the social worker who claimed to be an expert in domestic violence said it was mother's fault. So you find information that is, you know, very, very crucial or can be very, very crucial to your case by getting these delivered service logs and incidents reports. Um, In Los Angeles County, uh, they are referred to in the vernacular Title 20s. But if you ask your attorney to get the uh, delivered service logs and incidents reports, incident reports, um, he or she will know what you uh, are talking about. The next thing you want to consider at this uh, before the two six hearing is uh, if the child is adoptable and, it, and obtain information on the suitability of the, caretac- of the caretaker. Many times these caretakers have problems and they will not be able to pass a ho- an adoption home study. And if that is the case in your case, um, it is important that the judge know that before considering termination of your parental rights. Um, You want to consider who and what witnesses there are that can support your claims of defenses under 366.26C1. So that is a discussion that you must have with your court-appointed attorney or the attorney representing you. The next thing that you want to consider is, is there expert testimony that you can get to, a, uh, to assist, to testify for you and to assist with preparing cross-examination of the social worker. In juvenile dependency cases, you are allowed to have expert witnesses. You can get expert witnesses by hiring them yourself or by asking the court to appoint an expert witness uh, and for the court to pay for it and to allow you in the preparation and in the actual hearing. One of the things that you and your attorney should also do is to negotiate and discuss hearing strategies. Um, There are a lot of things that can happen at these types of hearings. And you want to make sure that um, sometimes they can be negotiated away or resolved in your favor prior to the hearing. The next thing that you ought to consider is if ICWA applies. Now, this is extremely important. ICWA stands for the Indian Child Welfare Act. So in this country, if your child has any, and I would want to stress the word any, American Indian ancestry, you must bring this up at this point in the case. I was tangentially um, involved in a case out of, uh, uh, well, I won't say the county, out of a county in Los Angeles. And um, the parents' rights had been terminated. But it turned out when the uh, court-appointed appellate attorney, who happened to be American Indian, got the case, he realized that a a big mistake had been made in the case, had been made on the first day of the case. And, you know, he got the case months, if not a year or so later. And this was a mistake. Um, At the the initial hearing, the judge asks the parents, do they have any American Indian heritage? I believe both parents, but at least the father said yes. The judge then asked, What tribe? And I forget the, the, the answer the father gave, but it was a tribe uh, in Alaska, an Eskimo tribe. Apparently, the county council then argued that Eskimos aren't American Indians. And apparently, the judge bought that argument. Now, flash forward, you know, many months, a year or so later, when my, my colleague is doing the appeal. And he reads this. Well, in fact, American—you know—American you know, American Indians include those Eskimo tribes. My friend was able to get the case set aside, and I talked to him recently, and I think he told me that the kids are now back with one or both of the parents. So this American Indian—you know—thing um, is very, very important. And if you have any American Indian ancestry, you should be. Uh, reporting this to your attorney and to the social worker, preferably in writing, you know, via email or something like that. Um, Right now I'm going to take another call. We're going to take a call, uh, area code uh, 951, ending in 87. Hello, you're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Get your kids back now.
4: No, they're not. Hello? Hello? Hi. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Okay. Loud and clear. Um, I have my three six six point two six hearing on March 1st, and I think I called you too late because I have not consulted with my attorney on any of the things that we just talked about.
1: Okay. Well, it's never too late, and if you don't win your too hearing you're also able to appeal it. So it's not too late to start talking to your attorney. Is there any way you can get a call or an email to him or her before the hearing?
4: Well, the hearing's on Tuesday, so I'll just have Monday to call them.
1: Well, you can call today. You can email
4: today. Okay, yeah, I can email today. But my question is, and pretty much, a lot of it was discussed with what you have said about what to uh, expect at that hearing. But um, since I never missed a visit, and my kid's been gone since 2014, is there a chance that if the, my lawyer presents to the judge guardianship, will that be possible? Yes, it's possible.
1: Um, whether that will happen or not, I don't know, because I don't know enough about the facts, but how old is your child?
4: Seven and nine.
1: And who are they placed with, foster home or relatives?
4: A relatives.
1: Are they friendly relatives or not friendly relatives?
4: Well, i you know how when you start dealing with a social worker and your family starts changing, that's where she's at right now.
1: You know, she has the right to tell the social worker, I don't want to adopt these children, that I want to be their legal guardians or I want to be their foster care parent until the mother gets back on her feet and able to take the kid. Now, what I've heard out from a lot of people, and it's really wrong, um, a lot of people have told me, I told the social worker I didn't want to adopt the child. You know, I'm a relative caretaker. And the social worker has then told them, if you don't adopt the child, we're going to take the child away from you. And I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong morally, ethically, and legally. That's my opinion. So social workers, in my opinion, cannot force relatives to adopt children. You know, yeah, but what they intimidate
4: them.
1: I know they do. But, you know, the relative, you know, has to stand strong. If you want, you can have the relative call me and I'll give her a free consultation on what, what she can and cannot do. Okay. Because if she really if she really doesn't in her heart of hearts doesn't want to adopt these children as her own, as her own, nobody should make her do that. Nobody. And I don't think the law forces that. And I think that if she has kept these children and wants to keep them under guardianship or foster care, that would probably be best for the children. So if but she
4: she, um, any... she wants to adopt them, but she feels that's the only option because the social worker said if she doesn't adopt, they'll be up for placement. She knows I do not want my kids separated. When I told her about the option of guardianship, she's scared of that fact because she's afraid if they're taken out of her house, she's going to lose them forever. They're going to be lost.
1: Well, there's, some, there's a lot of things that can be done to stop that. Um, and you know, either this weekend or Monday, if you want to have her call me, I'll give her a free consultation on what she can and cannot do.
4: Okay. righty? That
1: helps. Don't, Thank you. Okay. Hey, don't forget to try to contact your attorney today by phone and and or email. Because there's okay. a lot of things that there's a lot of things that need to be done. You might want to talk to your attorney or have um yeah, talk to your attorney about having that relative caretaker come to court and tell the judge exactly what's going on. And, and her testimony might be, from what you've told me, judge, I want to keep the kids forever, but the late, but the social worker says she's going to take them from me if I don't adopt them. And I really don't want to adopt them. Cause okay. I want to see them one day. I want to see them one day maybe get back with the mother. You know, okay. would that be such a bad thing? Would that be such a bad thing?
4: Yes, because at first the worker told her she didn't have to come to the hearing, but that just didn't make sense to me. So I did convince her to come to the hearing.
1: Yeah, of course they don't want them at the hearing. If they come to the hearing, they might tell the judge everything that the social worker hasn't told the judge, the relative caretaker has said. I bet you a dollar the relative's um, caretaker's reservation about adopting the children hasn't put any, any, hasn't been put in any report and the judge then won't know of these reservations. Yeah. So this is not an this is not an assembly line where we just adopt out these kids without giving really some serious thought into consideration about each family dynamic. Because each family is different. Okay. So contact your attorney as soon as possible and make sure that your relative caretaker comes to the hearing and talks to your attorney uh, to let him or her know what exactly is going on. Okay. All right? Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to try to take one more call. It's going to have to be a quick call because we're running out of time this morning. I'm going to uh, – the call is area code 808, ending in 42. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Get your kids back now.
0: Good morning. Hi, I'm calling from Hawaii, and I'm just really in a desperate situation because we have we have no good attorneys here, and my kids have been in this mess for three and a half years, and I've been through three state-appointed attorneys now, and I'm at the point where I've asked the judge to represent myself because I'm not getting... I'm not getting the representation that i that I need, and they filed to terminate my rights and i'm I'm really scared for my kids i don't know I don't know what to do to stop it um my kids weren't they weren't even molested in the first place they It was my mom that put my daughter up to saying that that she was molested, and she never was and there's been so much that has come out. In my case, to prove that she wasn't molested, but from the beginning my my first attorney basically tricked me into stipulating to doing the services, which i didn't even know what that meant. Come to find out it means something like pleading no contest to the charges, and they won't let me remove my stipulation they won't give me a trial on the charges, even though so much evidence has come out to prove that my kids weren't molested, and they're just trying to push us over a cliff and basically disappear my kids. And they've ripped my my family completely to shreds. They've taken my kids out of their school. They're trying to alienate me from my kids. They're severing every contact that that we have to connect us. They won't allow my kids to have therapy with me. Um, even though the judge ordered for therapy to begin in August of last year, they gave me the runaround saying that they couldn't sign the HIPAA form, then they've switched their therapist repeatedly every time something comes up to prove that they've done something wrong or my kids say that they weren't molested, they just switched their therapist. And I finally did get an appointment with with the therapist last week, Monday, it went really, really well. My kids were sitting in my lap the whole time giving me kisses and we just had a wonderful time and the therapist at the end of the appointment said, see you next week and now they're they're not letting us have therapy anymore. Um, I heard from my sex abuse therapist that they're going to try to talk with the social worker and the guardian ad litem to try and allow therapy to happen and to try and... Move towards reunification, but they've just blatantly tried to block reunification in every way possible. They've done horrible things to me and my kids over the past couple of years, and I asked the judge for a new guardian ad litem and a new social worker. He won't allow that. He's not allowing them to go back to their school. He's not putting them with placements that I've asked for. They're not doing the ICPCs for, for my family, and i just don't I don't know what to do or or where to turn,
1: okay. You said you're in the state of Hawaii yes, okay, so I'm a California licensed attorney. My advice is limited to California, however. Um There may be some things I can tell you to do to uh, get in contact with attorneys there in Hawaii that may be able to assist you, so this is what I want you to do because we 're running out of time this morning. I want you to call my office and leave a telephone message for me, and i 'll call you back either this weekend or on monday and we 'll get we 'll talk about it a little bit more in depth. Unfortunately, I can't give you legal advice because I'm not a Hawaii attorney, but I might be able to help you find a a Hawaii attorney that can assist you in this matter. All right?
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for calling and sharing your story with us. Okay. So to wrap up uh, the show today, I want to talk about three things but I always, always want people to do who are involved in a CTS or DCFS case. Number one, get expert legal representation. Number two, inform yourself of the procedures and of the laws <clears throat> to the extent that you can have an intelligent conversation or ask relevant and intelligent questions to your attorney. There are many places you can go. The earlier this morning I gave you the site to the dog book in California that it's, it's a book written for attorneys who represent children and parents. But I think if you look at it it's it's put set forth in a very simple format that it will at least give you some ideas. You can go online. There's many things that you can Google. I have a ton of YouTube videos. I have videos on my website. I wrote a book especially for parents and relatives. That's basically free. You can download that. But get the information you need. Finally, to be organizing people by county in the state of California, and perhaps in other states. And we're going to focus on voting for legislators who are family-friendly, for voting for judges who are trying to be elected or face re-election, who are family-friendly. So it is extremely important that you vote. I want to invite everyone out there listening. I'm giving a seminar today at, at uh, 10 a.m., in uh, Arcadia on juvenile dependency cases. It's free to everyone that wants to show up. It's the Monrovia, excuse me, Arcadia Embassy Suites. I'll see you next week.